Be patient, then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You, too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. Let your yes be your yes and your no, no, or you will be condemned. Thank you to the Ramsey family for uh, reading to us today. Out of James chapter 5, and I hope you're, you're there, um, and today we're again still in James, and the theme of course is practicing Christ in an opposing world, but today I want to talk about patience and persecution, and I, I didn't plan for it this way, I knew I would be out of town last week, I was at Calvary Evangelical Baptist Church in Portsmouth, Virginia, uh, Pastor McFarlane, he's president of our convention, and he was speaking somewhere else, and he asked could I come, and uh, so I said sure, and asked Pastor Stephen would he preach and he had no idea where I was headed and I had no idea where he was headed but as I listened to the sermon I realized that that was very God-ordained because where we were going to next in James is a follow-up to talking about true persecution and in, in fact James here is giving instructions to people who are actually under persecution and how to act during persecution and and I, I got to confess as I, I was listening to Pastor Stephen's sermon, and, and he was drawing a difference between inconvenience and, and persecution, I realized that I love to complain about my inconvenience. Uh, I don't know about you, and, uh, but, but I do. Uh, it just, if I'm inconvenienced at all or get a, you know, I, I think there's a little like cartoonish saying. It says, when a man gets a cold, he almost understands what it must feel like to a woman when she gives birth. You know, that's just sort of how men are, right? I, I get a little scratch or dent, and I'm wanting, you know, honey, look, it hurts so bad, you know. And she's over there hacking up a lung or something. Oh, yeah, that's bad, all right, you know. Uh, and, and, and so I get that, that we just all sort of naturally, we might complain about different things, but we all kind of like to gain sympathy, I guess, get, get pity from someone uh, about uh, the things that are bothering us. And it's always good when you've got a friend that understands and kind of you can unload, but it doesn't do us a lot of good to have that attitude, to have that, that approach. And James kind of knocks that out in this passage. But as I was thinking about it, I looked it up, and at least in one source, and, and I don't know exactly how accurate this is, but these are people that are, are trying to track that. A Christian in this world, one dies every six minutes because of the name of Christ. Not because of heart attack or getting hit by a bus, but because they claim Christ. They are martyred for Christ. And that counts up to 87,600 a year, unless I did my math wrong. And I tried to check it twice, but I'm, I'm not that good at it. But it seems that way. And... and Every six minutes, 87,600 a year, people around our globe die for the name of Christ. And so I, I begin to wonder, you know, I live in, in, in absolute, so far, absolute freedom to worship as I please. And so the question I had, and I give it to you to think about, do you feel the pain of the persecuted church? 
Do you pray for them, care for them? Because as I talk about this, it almost seems silly because we don't really have persecution yet in North America for the church. There are there's always been persecution for certain religious groups. America, you know, our very first amendment gives us the freedom of religion to worship as we please. And just by the way, just in case you're confused, because uh, even people that know better say this, there is no separation of church and state in the United States. In fact, it says, Congress shall make no law establishing a religion nor prohibiting the free exercise of one. Now it says thereof, but of us. In other words, if you want to witness at your workplace or school, as long as you're not stealing from your boss or teacher, you're free to do that. And the government can't ever make a law establishing religion, but it cannot make a law favoring one or prohibiting one, which gives the freedom for some really bad religions to take to get a lot of power and hurt us. And so you understand that. And so, so we live in a, a very free place. Now, we've had religious persecution on this continent. That's why we have that amendment uh, in our Constitution and our, and our documents. And, and so we don't have an official religion. There's not a certain church or denomination or religion, even Christianity, that is officially the religion of the United States. And, and, and so, again, we, we are born in freedom. And as I talk about it, as I think about this, I think, wow, how spoiled we are over 200 years, well over 200 years of freedom, about 240 years, I believe, or 50 years of absolute freedom <coughs> to, to worship and, 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 and to honor God in any way we see. But James, in this passage, he comes to those who are actually in persecution. You say, well, why are we going to go over it if it's not relevant? Well, it is relevant. It's relevant for two reasons. One, the rest of the world, just about, almost all of it, not quite, but a lot of it, is under persecution. Just the fact that there's so many Chinese people in China uh, uh, says that the vast number of people are under persecution because uh, they still have to hide. The true church still has to hide in China, and they will be persecuted. But here's the other reason. Uh, you know, sometimes when you're safe, you don't consider that there might be a time you're not safe. You know, sort of like when everything's going well, you start planning as if everything is going to continue to go well. Now, you can afford to do that if you're isolated and there's nobody around you. But when you're in a war, you cannot do that. In fact, men that know better than I do, when they're planning a battle or planning an operation that they have to do, one thing they also plan on is if everything goes wrong. Because they said, because it will. And everything will go haywire. And, and, and living in the freedom that we've lived in, we've forgotten that we are strangers and aliens in a place where we are at war with an enemy we can't even see. The Bible says for our warfare is not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual beings, against evil in, in, in high places in the spiritual world. And, and our war is against a realm that we can't see. It's in prayer. And, and by the way, the, God has been leading the churches to prayer across this area, across uh, Waynesboro, Fishersville, Stanton at least. God is leading people into prayer, uh, and, and, and we are joining in with that. We're not the leaders of it, but we're not going to be the last ones in it either. And God is moving. And in Waynesboro, people walk and pray every week. In Stanton, people walk and pray on Wednesdays at 11 every week. And last Wednesdays, we went to 
to go out. Someone got a text. We didn't know the governor was in town, so several of us got outside the building, and we were praying for the, the governor and the government. And, uh, and then uh, one of our own members, I won't call his name because this is going out uh, publicly, and a guy from a place in Waynesboro, they went up and tried to get to talk to the governor, but they got to witness to his aides and tell him about Jesus Christ. Amen? That's about prayer, though. That's not about even our witness. We have to pray. That's why next week on Sunday night, we will be meeting in this auditorium. Anybody wants to come, come pray. I'm not going to preach at you. You just can come and go as you please to pray. Our young people are going to start walking the streets of this neighborhood, praying and hoping to, to help influence the neighborhood. Because prayer is, is where we find our strength and draw our strength, and we need that prayerfulness but when we forget that we are in a war we forget that we've got to ask the commander-in-chief who is God our our king Jesus Christ how do we live and and folks just because we haven't had persecution does not mean we will not have persecution now everybody in this building may die and never see real Christian persecution against themselves but I want you to understand it's a reality around the world and it's possible to come here as well. It's always a possibility. And if you don't plan that way, you'll get caught unawares. Well, the first thing that James does in this passage is he defines patience, uh, more or less. And, and he's, remember, he's writing in a context of suffering. These people are suffering. And so the very first words he says is, be patient. Now, let me give you a good warning. Don't ever pray for patience, Okay. And I'll tell you why, because patience is developed in persecution. Patience is developed in hardship. You do not gain patience in, an, in a greenhouse, okay? You gain patience by, because what it means is to bear up under. It means you get a burden put on you, and you just stand up under it. I, I forgot the name of the movie, but it was, uh, it was a, a man, I believe he was the first African-American diver in the Navy, and, and he, he lost a leg uh, in an accident, and he wanted to come back. And this guy said, when you can stand up on dry ground with all that heavy stuff you put on, you can do it. And he worked and worked and worked. And there's, you know, of course, it's dramatized by Hollywood, but he finally he gets until he can stand up under that. And not only was he the first African-American, the first guy missing a leg <laughs> to be a, a diver in the United States Navy. I'm talking about the big bell helmet and all that stuff on him. Well, that's the definition of patience, is to have this weight put on you, and you bear up, and you hold it up, and you don't give in. The only way to have patience, you can't even exercise patience without persecution. You know, sit, standing in a line at the store at least six feet back from somebody, that's not patience, that's just courtesy. Patience is when you are being hit and, and abused and things are coming at you and you go, that the best you got? <laughs> you know, and you just stand up under it. You take it, that you're, you're able to endure it. And, and, and James is telling them it has that sense of waiting in it, but it's a sense of strength in waiting, the sense of, I know there's problems coming at you, but he says, but be patient until the coming of the Lord. Now, again, I have to remind you, when we say that, we always think about the second coming of Christ. But understand, he is coming for you in your lifetime, okay? There is coming a day where everybody in this room, if Jesus doesn't appear and we go with him, that we will all die of CTB. Y'all know what CTB is? Ceasing to breathe, all right? All of us one day are going to quit breathing, we're going to die, and we're going to be standing in God's presence, 
So he's coming back for us in our lifetime. And James says, so be patient until the coming of the Lord. And then he gives an illustration of the farmer. And he, and he uses a, an illustration here about the, until it receives the early and latter rains. And we don't talk that way here. We don't talk that way today. In Israel, they don't talk that way today because they have irrigation systems. They, they desalinate water out of the med and they irrigate their crops. I, I was told that they know exactly how much the crops need and that's how much they irrigate it. But in the days of Christ, and, and probably still today, I didn't really check that, but the rains would come in the fall and the spring. Now, when do you guys plant your crops, your gardens and things? Yeah, not them. They plant them in the fall. Because, or they at least get the soil ready in the fall. Because that, it, the, it, they don't have a lot of rain and the ground is harder. So when the rains fall in the fall, they plow up the ground. That's when they loosen it all up. And then they have to wait until winter is over and then it rains again in the spring. So when, when that first comes, they tear up the soil. They, they may put the seed in. I didn't study it that far. But then they wait. Because they know they, it's going to be cold and they got to let it warm back up. And then they'll get some rain in the spring and then all the plants will start to grow. And they will then get to harvest a crop. They built festivals around the rain system. Some of the festivals that, that Jewish people still celebrate revolve around the harvest and the, and the rain uh, that, that comes. And, and so you guys, some of you grew up as farmers or on a farm. A lot of us have gardens, and I've got a 10 by 10 garden. It's just a little box, but we're eating out of it, so it's okay. And how many of you have ever made a seed to grow? Don't raise your hand because you fall into a trick question there. Of course not. You can't make a seed grow. You can provide the circumstances that are positive for that seed to grow, but only God can make a seed grow. You can plow up the ground, you can fertilize, you can water, you can do all that stuff. I, in fact, I had to plant my okra twice, and I still get, didn't get as much as I wanted. I don't know what it is. Okra don't want to grow up here, but I like okra, so I'm going to keep trying. And I know some of y'all probably got, oh, I got a bunch of okra. See me afterwards, okay? Uh, but, but, uh, but I got a little bit coming up. We, I got one pod off. My wife cooked that pod and ate it yesterday. Didn't even offer me any. So um, just one little pod. That's all we had. I, no, I, she, she's welcome to it. Nobody can cook it like she can cook it either, I'm telling you. But he says, look at that farmer. He, he plows up that ground. He plants that seed, and then he waits. And so there is that sense of waiting, but what happens when it doesn't... Thank you. I didn't know I needed that. Um, she's monitoring me. No, I won't go over, I promise. And so, and so he has to wait for that seed, and then he patiently waits, and then he sees the harvest. Now, spiritualize that a little bit. What happens when somebody comes to Christ? Well, the Holy Spirit starts working, right? Starts tearing up the ground. Starts saying, hey, I'm here and you need to do something. And he breaks up the ground and the seed is planted in us. And then when it gives fruit is when we come to Christ in the latter rain. And he's saying, listen, you're out there sowing seed in people's lives. You're going to have to wait till God makes a move. And right now you're under persecution and things don't look like they're going to work out. He says, you also be patient. In verse 8, and establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. In other words, know it's coming. Those farmers would plant that seed and they would hope. You remember the story of Elijah? He prayed and it didn't rain for three years. Think about that. It only got rain twice a year. And it didn't rain for three years. What grew then? Not much. And they were desperate. And the Hebrews says, and he prayed again and phew, 
Here came the rain, right? He's saying these farmers, they plant in faith, and then they have to have patience, praying that God's going to do something again on that seed. So is it with us, and, and, and so is it with these people in persecution. Don't worry. Just do what you're supposed to do, and then be patient. Bear up under it. And then he says, and here's the other thing, is you've got to be together. You've got you to stick together. You've got to be unified. Uh, in, in verse 9, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you be, uh, may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. In other words, when you start complaining about a brother or sister, when you start grumbling against everyone else, you make yourself a judge. And it's sort of like you take over and you're, Doing all that, and somebody taps you on the shoulders and goes, um, the real judge is here. <laughs> you better quit playing that game because he's here. And that, we have to live with that reality as well. But don't take it out of your brothers and sisters. They're suffering just like you are. And the judge is already near. He's at the door. It, because, again, we're all going to only live so many years, and then we're going to die. So the judge is already there. And don't do that because, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, Look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. He says, here's the example why you shouldn't grumble and complain. Everybody grumbled and complained against the prophets. Jesus said so, right? Remember, Jesus said, the the Father sent the prophets to, to you and you wouldn't listen to them, so the same way you don't listen to me. But now they've been dead a long time. Oh, those prophets were amazing, weren't they? You ever been to that funeral? Yeah, one time fellow died and the preacher was preaching and talking about the dead guy and the, his widow back there punched her child and said child go up there and look in that coffin and see if that's your daddy in there <laughs> one of my cousins died and the preacher got up and said this was the meanest man i ever knew and all the family said amen that's right <laughs> we knew it man he said he was also the most generous man i ever knew we again we said amen he was mean as a snake i just we appreciate the preacher didn't try to sugarcoat it that was a mean dude but he's also a generous dude, so I don't know. We don't believe in balancing out. Yeah, it shouldn't have been mean. But, but he says, look at these prophets. They spoke and they suffered. And the people of their day didn't listen to them. The people of their day didn't believe in them. But think about it. Some of those prophets today have been in heaven for over 3,000 years. 4,000 years. They got, they got spoken against. They got persecuted. Some got put to death. In their 70 or 80 years of life. And now, about 4,000 years, they've just been in the presence of God enjoying themselves. So don't put, put your suffering in perspective of eternity versus time. Eternity versus time. I, I used to have a cartoon, a Beetle Bailey cartoon. I don't know if you all remember that one. It was a kind of a military one. And the chaplain is walking by Beetle Bailey and he says... Hey, did you like the sermon last week? And Beetle said, I thought it was a little long. Obviously, I've heard that one. And the, and the chaplain said, really? I didn't think it was that long. And in the last little frame, Beetle Bailey's looking at you, and he says, that's the trouble with people who deal with eternity. To them, nothing is long. <laughs> Friend, that's exactly what James is saying. If you get the perspective of eternity, you may be suffering now, but when you die, woo, it's done, man. It is glory after that. So quit worrying about they may take your life because after that, it's nothing but bliss 
A wise man once told me, heaven only adds, it never subtracts. And whatever you think you'll miss on earth, you won't miss it at all in heaven. It's going to be so much better, and I don't know what it's going to be like exactly. He gave us enough hints to know I want to go there. But I promise you, anything you're suffering on earth, and in fact, Paul said this, and I believe Pastor Stephen referenced this last week as well, for this momentary light affliction is not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed when we see him face to face. And the guy said momentary light affliction is the guy that had been shipwrecked, you know, five times, had been whipped, or I think he shipwrecked three times, whipped five times, stoned one time. That guy said, oh, it's just a momentary light affliction, no big deal. I'm going to be with Jesus. It's not, it's nothing to it. And James here brings that out to us and says, listen, they've been in heaven. They are not suffering anymore. They spoke in the name of the Lord. We consider them now blessed to remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. He then brings out Job to us, and he says... He suffered greatly. Some people think Job suffered more than any man ever. He had a family, had a wife, he had riches, and all of it was taken away except the wife and the way she complained throughout his suffering. He might have wished God would have replaced her too, but he didn't. In fact, she said, why don't you just curse God and die? He said, why do you remain your integrity? And Job said, I came in the world naked, I'll leave naked, blessed be the name of the Lord. So the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, it's, it's all up to him. And Job maintained that integrity. Now, he, he, he did have some things he needed to get right, and he did do that. But Job remained steadfast. That word there means a hopeful endurance. I told you patience means to bear up under a load. Here, when he says, you've heard of the patience of Job, it's a little different word. It means, man, this is fun while I'm enduring under this weight. Now, nobody thinks that way. But that's how he was. It's like, I, I don't know if you remember or saw uh, the movie, um, Remember the Titans, about this first integrated football team. It was in this state of Virginia. And at practice, they would, he would say, you had enough. And all the boys would say, we want more, we want more, we want more. He'd make, he'd make them yell that back at him as he worked them out and made them suffer under, to build their bodies so they could be a good football team. God gives us some inconveniences some things we have to endure but you know what it is that working out is that lifting it is that that makes us strong and he says look at job he got to the point where he was excited about his suffering and at the end of job god gave him in this world twice of everything he had twice as much of his riches now some people said oh see the bible's wrong because it only says the same number of kids of the kids that have died but the Bible doesn't count saved people as being dead. They just change addresses. He had double the kids. Half of them lived in heaven. Half of them lived here. And double everything. Didn't give him a new wife or, an, or a second wife. He still had that same wife. Hopefully she got her attitude straight somewhere in there. But that's what happened. Because look what he says. The purpose of the Lord. You have seen the purpose of the Lord. He is compassionate and merciful. What does that mean for us? What does it mean that we can see the purpose of the Lord? If I asked you in a different way, you would all tell me the exact right answer. What does God want us to do in this world? And you would most likely, most of you would say, well, he wants us to tell other people about him. Wants us to tell people about Christ. Help them grow up in Christ, right? And help them to be productive as a Christian. Yeah, exactly. 
And so it is in our, our suffering that we see, have seen, don't lose that purpose. Keep that purpose in mind that, that if we remain steadfast, no matter what else is happening, if we can have joy even in our inconvenience or our persecution, we are still obeying what God told us to do. And God will bless that because he put that on us, not as a test to, to see what we would do, because he knew what we'd do, but so we could see what we could do. Anytime you take on a new endeavor, you're not sure if you can accomplish it or not. You enter it with a certain fear, a certain trembling. But as you do it and as you learn it, you get more and more excited because you see it happening, and later it doesn't seem such a chore. So it is with, with, with looking at our persecution that way. We wonder, could we stand it? Could we bear up under it? Well, sure you can. And until somebody pushes you past that, you'll never know what you could do. I always told my kids when they were learning how to drive, you will never know your limits until you exceed them. And exceeding them is a painful lesson. And so my son totaled a car, and he was about 17. And I wasn't even in town, and they had to call. Ian totally wrecked the car, and he was hurt. And I said, okay, i got to get this off my chest first. That was stupid. He goes, I know. I said, all right. And then I said, you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm hurting, but I'm okay. And then I said, you know what you just did? And he said, what? I said, you exceeded your limits. He said, yep, that's exactly what I did. And now he won't, go, he won't break speed limit for anything anymore. I think that lesson, he learned that lesson. God's going to push you past what you think you can do because it's not you doing it, it's him doing it in you, right? You don't understand the power that comes from God until you desperately need it. And when he pours that out, you go, wow, God met me at the point of my need of him. And look what he can do. And once you understand that, you'll always reach out to him to enable you to do what you need to do. And then the last verse of this passage seems not to even be a part of it. Look what he says in verse 17. But above all, brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes, your no be no, so you may not fall under condemnation. He says, don't take an oath. And he says, don't even take a, a little limited oath. Don't even say, yes, I, I promise or anything like that. Or don't even say, I swear. It, it, you could look at this one of two ways. One may be you're just exasperated, you're under persecution, and, and you're grumbling against your brother and sister, and you're just like, leave me alone. I swear to God. You know, and you use that in a loose, cursing way. He says, don't do that. Don't do that. Just say yes or no. Don't. Don't even say, yeah, I promise. Just say, yes, or just say, no, I don't think I can do that. Because that is a reality. We all tend to, I want to make you happy, so sometimes I will overpromise. I'll say, oh, yeah, 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 I'll do that. Well, I didn't really think about that through, and then I got to come back and go, I'm sorry, I can't do that, because I overpromised, I overcommitted. He says, listen, just speak the simple truth. Know what the will of God is, and if what you need to do in, in whatever what the situation you're in, if it's outside of that, just go, no, not going to do that, can't do that, won't do that. And if it's yes, say, yeah, I can do that, and do it, or be it, or whatever the, the thing is. But he said, just say yes or no, because you fall under condemnation. You know, it's, it, the Bible tells us uh, in, in the Old Testament that that. It is better not to swear an oath than to swear one and not keep it. And that you ought to be very careful before you say, I will, or I promise, or I'll do that thing. Because breaking an oath is very, very 
meaningful to God. What is another word for the New Testament? What is the word we use instead of testament? We, we read it every time we take communion. This is the covenant, right? In my blood. You know that here, here's the difference between a contract and a covenant. A contract always has an escape clause. Marriage is a covenant, it's not a contract. Now, secular people make marriage a contract today. You got prenuptial agreements, all that stuff, and it's a contract. And if one party breaks a, that, that part of it, the whole thing's off, right? And so they do that to protect themselves. So a contract is, okay, I promise to do this, and you promise to do that, and if you fail to do that, then this whole contract is out the window. I don't have to keep my promise. A covenant doesn't work that way. A covenant means that when I say it, I have to do it whether you do your end or not. God has made a covenant with us. And here's what he said. I will always be with you. I will never leave you. And the Bible tells us that when we break faith with God, he won't break faith because he cannot deny himself. Because you and I are humans and we're weak and we're, we will fail him. And we will break covenant with God. But God will never break covenant with us. That's why I know I'm going to heaven. Not because I'm good, because I'm not good. Not because I do it right, because I don't do it right. I know I'm going to heaven because God won't break covenant. And so at the end of this, he says, just say yes or no. And don't be making promises that you've got to break or may break. Just be truthful because under suffering, you can't afford to play games. It's got to be yes or no. Well, what can you do about that today? First of all, if you feel like you're in persecution and, and if you feel like God has got you in that place, find out what his purpose is. You may have a, 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 have a tough time going on in your life. It could be in any area. There's tons of areas of your life that, that you might be having a real big struggle and you're crying out to God, God, I don't get this. What's going on? I don't understand. Good. That's what you ought to do. Ask God about it because he wants to help you understand his purpose in the midst of what you consider suffering or what is suffering in your life. I, I, I keep saying that way because I want to be careful how we express this. But, but I always said, I don't, I don't despise or, or talk down to a kid who has what we call puppy love because puppy love is real to the puppy, right? <laughs> they just don't understand that they don't have the capacity for real love yet, what it, love really means, and they have to grow in their understanding. So, Listen, we are in a, a place where we don't understand what's out there beyond this place that God has us. And so in that place, what feels like pain may later, you look back and go, that was nothing. But in the moment, it is. And that's why you need to seek God. Say, God, what are you doing? And he may say, I'm teaching you how to do this, or I'm teaching you how to endure that. And he may come and, and let you know you have, there is a purpose behind why I've got you here. And embrace that. Enjoy that. Take that in even if it's suffering, and find out what his purpose is. Then secondly, pray, <clears throat> pray and help a brother or sister in their persecution. Now, I said that very generally, but I'm, I have in mind the persecuted church. Again, around the world, you, you can join Voices of the Martyrs. That's probably the best organization out there for that. There's another one. forgot the name of it right now. Forgive me, but you can just research persecuted church, and you'll find several organizations and they keep us aware of what's going on in, in sometimes closed countries where people are imprisoned or tortured or put to death 
for their faith. And be in prayer for them, at least. If you know a Christian that's struggling with their faith, there's something here, help them where you can. But pray and help someone who is in suffering or in persecution. And, and again, last week or two weeks ago, I mentioned missionaries around the world that, that, that are in need that you can help. And then lastly, just speak with a calm commitment. I, I get real excited real easily. I, I, I was having adrenaline dizziness this morning, uh, just getting to baptize. I mean, I was so excited to baptize, and man, I shake anyway. I, got, I never had a real good steady hand, but man, I was trying to get, you know, I was just so charged up about what God was at, was doing. You know, you usually don't make good decisions in those times. Try to step out of that and go, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me, let me think this through. Yes, no. Make a calm commitment. But when you make that commitment, then keep it. The Bible says in Psalm 15, the one who will stand in God's presence, the one who keeps a vow even to his own hurt. Where he makes a vow, but he can't do it, but he says, well, I promise I'm going to do it anyway. And you do it. Now, I know sometimes that's not even possible, but... We ought to do everything we can to fulfill our promises made in this world. Why? Because then we show an example to the world of who Christ is. Well, let's pray together. Father God, in Jesus' name, we thank you for this part of your word, Lord. We, we are appreciative that we don't have true suffering. We don't have true persecution just for naming your name. Somebody may make fun of us because we're an outspoken Christian. Uh, they may look down upon us. They may... Um, ridicule us, Lord. Uh, experience has taught us that those who ridicule the most are usually the ones that that uh, that you're talking to the most. That that they are under the conviction of the Holy Spirit themselves, and and instead of uh, worrying about them, we ought to just continue to pray for them because you're working in their life. But Lord, I pray for us that if we feel like we're being persecuted, or maybe we are being persecuted, uh, Lord, that we would step back and just say, God, what are you doing here in my life? What are you up to? I want to endure this. I want to walk through this uh, by your grace and by your help so that only you can be glorified. For, Lord, we know that we are powerless and weak, and there's nothing we can do uh, to fulfill your, your promises and to, to do what you have promised us. Only you can do that in us. And so, Lord, we open our hearts and our lives to you to become all uh, that we should be in you. And, Lord, right now, in the name of Jesus, I solemnly ask it, with all seriousness. Lord, anybody that is, can hear this word, this voice, this message, whether in this building or through the electronic means that are available, that if they don't know you, your Holy Spirit would come and convict them of sin and righteousness and judgment to come. And that, Lord, they would open their heart and life to you for the first time. And then, God, they would not keep that a secret, but they would share that with someone who can help them, a church, a pastor, a friend that knows you so they can begin to grow in you. Lord, I pray that we would indeed be patient. We would bear under suffering, but that we would get to the place of Job where it is a joyful endurance, where we are excited about it, and we just laugh in the face of danger and death and and trouble. For we know the one who holds us and the one who keeps us. Lord, we don't know what tomorrow brings, but we know who holds tomorrow, and that's you. And so, Lord, we pray that we would be faithful followers. In Jesus' name, amen.